Hey, y'all, before we get started, are you following me on Instagram? Don't lie to me. Don't lie to me. I've already looked you up. I already know. But it's okay. All you got to do is go to Heather Parody, P-A-R-A-D-Y, over on the IG. Slide into my DMs. Let me know you found me from the show. And say hi. I'd love to hear from you. Again, that is at Heather Parody, P-A-R-A-D-Y, over on IG. As a leader, how do you build a sense of connection and belonging when you lead a community that is diverse and has many differing opinions? How do you tend to your personal relationships and make sure that your heart does not become callous when there are so many issues pulling at you in different directions? Today's guest, Deke Copenhaver, served the city of Augusta, Georgia as its mayor for nine years. And now he is passionate about helping other leaders connect better with those that they serve and make a real change through their unconventional leadership. I was born in Montreal, moved to Augusta when I was four. Painfully shy kid, thick Canadian accent, four years old. I knew what it felt like to be an outsider. Can you still talk Canadian? No, I cannot. Obviously, I don't sound Canadian now. But knowing what it was like to feel like an outsider made me always want to be inclusive. And so it made me always kind of pull for the underdog. And so I think that connection to people, I, I love to connect with people from all walks of life. But it's particularly people that you know, would think are the underdogs that nobody, yeah. you know, this guy's not going to pay attention to me. I, I value everybody. And I think you can get, you can learn something from everybody, but that's really I, what I get my energy from is the people that I surround myself with, or I'm surrounded by. It's that connection that, that I love. I'm glad you said the word connection, because if, you know, my little bit of experience knowing you and talking to you, I feel like that is definitely a gift that you have that I don't think a lot of people naturally have is just this ability to connect people and to help them feel a part of something again no matter how diverse it may be and I wanted to talk to you about that yeah. because I think as as creatives as leaders as people who are making something and putting it out into the world with the intent and the hope of making some kind of difference we we have to be intentional with yep. connection and it's an easy concept, but it's a skill set and something that we need to learn. And so what do you think connection requires of us as leaders? It requires vulnerability and opening yourself up. And it's interesting when I used to have a radio show, I had Wycliffe Gordon, you know, famous jazz musician who's from Augusta on the show. And we talked about him playing in front of an audience and how he could feel the connection to his audience. And he said, can you feel the connection to your listeners? And even your listeners out there now, I said, yes. And I asked him, can you? And he said, yeah. You mean not seeing somebody, not talking to them, you can feel a connection I with can, the audience. I can feel a connection. And it's just sort of through the microphone, but maybe it's through you and just being here right across from you and looking into your eyes. It, I just feel that connection to people. And I think they can feel it too. But I think it begins with uh, just being open because it's it, people who are guarded and who are not, you know, it, it's when I was in office, I always said I had an open door policy because I had nothing to hide. I mean, mm-hmm. I was just going to be who I am. But that's what connects you to people is that openness and that vulnerability. And you're right. That's that's a hard place to get to for some yeah. people. It's always been really easy to me. Growing up as a shy kid, I was a voracious reader. 
because I figured if I knew a little something or a good bit about everything, sports, history, art, that if I could have a conversation with people about anything that they wanted to have a conversation about, that that helped me with my shyness because it kind of put That's us on. A very advanced thing for a kid to think. Well, it, but but it. So I ha- I have a love of sports. I have a love of music. I have a love of so many different things, art. Yeah. But that being able to connect with people where they are. Yeah. And speak with with authority on why you love something, and I don't think some people think well you're either a sports fan or you're you know you love the arts and yeah. I'm like you can you can be all of these things at the same time. Yeah. How do you differentiate like? being open to connection and open-minded open door policy and all that and still putting like a a stake in the ground and standing for something that you believe in that you know will i guess maybe push people away unintentionally yeah well you and i have discussed that that i view society as a bell curve and that the majority of people are in the middle they're not extremists what i realized particularly during my time in office is that if you govern to the majority, the rational, level-headed people like the two of us and like so many yeah. people we know, you're going to tick off the extremes. Sure. So I caught flack from the extremes on either side, but I've always said in leadership positions, if you're making the extremes mad, you're probably doing what's right for the vast majority of the people you serve. But you're going to, I mean, you're going to catch flack. People are not going to like if you're not trying to placate them, placate the vocal minority, there are a lot of people out there that just don't like that, but you're never going to please everybody. How do you stay emotionally stable with that? Because one of the parts of being a connector and loving mm-hmm. people and empathetic and stuff is you feel things and yep. you genuinely care. So when Janet's mad at you or whatever, yeah. like that bothers me. So how do you stay emotionally stable and stuff like it, that? It's So people would tell me in my nine years in office that, it's a thankless job, but, but it's the connection. So I made sure never to insulate myself. I went to, you know, the Y every morning and yeah. I went to the Lowe's on the weekend. And Lowe's? So, like lumber? Yeah. Oh, Why yeah. would you go to Lowe's to buy lumber? To get stuff from my yard. Oh, but it's that's not, a place to connect with people? It's Oh, yeah. Really? There's it, a party at Lowe's. Yeah. Well, it's that you're, you're not putting yourself above the people you serve, so you're connecting with your average man or woman on the street. And I've shared with people when in office, out of office, when you're sitting in the steam room at the Y with a bunch of sweaty dudes, you're all on the same level. Inevitably politics would come up, but everybody's going to shoot you straight if you're on the same level. So that's, that's something that keeping that connection. So I knew, you know, that even though there were certain angry, extreme people that were mad at me, Mm-hmm. If you focus on making decisions that are in the best end of the best interest of the majority, ultimately it comes out in the wash, and that that was very interesting to me because I didn't understand. I'd never been in politics, and I'm like, how do people hate me that have never even met me? But they yeah. assumed they you know stereotyped and assumed this guy's a typical politician, and there's a reason why politicians have such a bad reputation. By the end of nine years in office, even some of my most vocal critics at first had become some of my strongest supporters because they realized that I was who I said I was, which was not a politician. I was not serving Augusta to serve myself and to go for a higher office. You attended 
I want to say it was like the oldest leadership program in Georgia or something before. In, is is in that the, right? In the nation, Leadership Georgia. Prior to being mayor and all. Of the that. year before I ran. I had to ask you, I was wondering, I was like, after something like that, what, what was like your main takeaway that you actually tangibly used? The thing to me is, Heather, I, I'm a literalist and I'm like, well, if you go through a leadership program, you need to lead. So my graduation weekend in Thomasville, Georgia, in 2004, we had our third current or former elected official go under indictment. What does that mean? That means that you're under federal indictment. It means pretty much you're more than likely going to jail. (laughs) Oh, that's not good. Yes. In your role as a public servant, you violated the public trust. So Who was this again? uh, It was... Three local current, I mean, three local elected officials who shall remain nameless. In Augusta. In Augusta. Oh, shoot. But it was black, white, male, female, Democrat, and Republican. And I'm like, we, we've got to do better than that. And so running for office, so when our former mayor, Bob Young, announced that he was being appointed Southeast Regional Director of the Department of Housing and Urban Development, I just said, well, I'm, I'm going to run, you know, because we need le- new leadership. And I've gone through Leadership Georgia, and I've chaired boards of directors, and I've run a small business. I've had all the leadership experience I need, but I was called into a back room and told by people I I know and respect, business leaders, to to this very day, but that I would be the best mayor, but that I hadn't paid my dues. Yep. And I'm sitting there going, so so I was like, if I if I was going to hire a mayor out of the list of candidates. And I always tell people that's the way I view something voting for somebody. I'm like, who would I hire? Mm-hmm. You know, take all the politics out of it. Who would I hire? But, but really, so I, I'm so competitive. I told the guys in the back room that I was going to run and I was going to win whether their candidate was in the race or not. You have referenced that you can be a little crazy at times. And I think a little it, bit. it takes to be, sometimes be a good leader. You got to be a little crazy. Because people are going to tell you that's never going to work. Yeah. You know, what you're proposing. And people you respect, too. And that backroom story, I think everybody listening has had that experience where somebody pulls them aside lovingly in their best interest and say, who do you think you are to do this? They don't say that. But for your good, they just want to. Have you really thought this through? And they put that doubt and that fear in your mind. I mean, that's happened to me. I'm sure everybody listening. And it's it can be the make or break for you, right? Because yeah. it's not always a hater online. It's somebody close to you or somebody that you respect. Yeah, and that is that is what I've always respected about parents I've seen that have really supported their children doing something that's unconventional. Yeah. You know, um, I, I've seen a lot of that. I've seen other situations where I wanted to major in journalism at the University of Georgia, but my dad wanted me to major in business. So what do you do? I majored in business and did what my dad wanted me to do. I ended up getting my degree in political science, but in stepping outside of the box yeah. is something that's very important. But so many people, I used to use the critics and the cynics as, as motivation. This is a name I hope you know. You are younger I don't than know. me. I'm nervous now. Michael Jordan. Oh, man. Yes. Okay. Great documentary. So, yeah. So, I grew up a huge Michael Jordan fan. Yeah. I would tell people the two of the things I learned from watching him as a teenager was he made the entire team around him better. He was their leader, man. He was their leader. 
And if you said anything bad about his team, he'd go out and hang 50 points on you the next night. I let critics and cynics drive me. So when I was first elected mayor of Augusta, the, all the economic forecasts were for our local economy to not do well. And I'm like, those are trend lines, and yeah. trend lines can be changed if you do something different. And so I got directly involved in economic development and recruiting businesses. So that those trend lines change pretty quickly. But here again, if you just accept the status quo, right. there's not going to be any, any innovation from that. That's and right. I love innovation. And you, like going back to you love people too. And one of the things I wanted to ask you is you're still a human. And I think oh, yeah. <laughs> we all forget that when we see and leaders. I, and I've had the vaccine and I haven't grown antlers. Or, not I haven't, yet. You don't know what's going to happen I haven't next become year. a zombie. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, with, with the, the backroom conversations and the extremists on different sides and, you know, things, you know, you said earlier, people who can hate you without even knowing you. I have to check my heart a lot. Because sometimes it just, it's easy to go almost to anger or bitterness, like screw everything, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, and I was wondering, like, as a empathetic person who loves people, but also to being a human, and I'm sure you've seen the worst of the nasty yeah. of the worst and not letting that get to your heart, right? Yeah, I will tell you, and this, this is the hardest part for me now too. And I pray about this because I, I think having gone through that for nine years, I don't know if you'd call it callousness or you just kind of get to a point where I think it's self-preservation or a defense mechanism mm. to where it just doesn't, it's still, I mean, at first when people say bad things, yes, it does, yeah. but you almost get to where you're a little callous towards it. And I pray about that every day. I'm like, Lord, you know, remove all the calluses from my heart and, and the hearts of your people and open us up to receive your Holy Spirit and flow through us, wash over us, transform and transfigure us into a people after your own um, yeah. heart. You kind of can get in a situation where you've hardened your heart. For sure. How do you see this online space um, with a bunch of, we have a bunch of content creators listening and people who are doing podcasts and yeah. putting out videos and weird skits and stuff like that. And they're um, kind of making a difference in this world in an outside of the box way. and you and I talked earlier, I think there's a big opportunity for us to connect online yep. and lead online. And um, some of the stuff that you've learned, how do you see that translating in an online space? I love it, but it goes back to the connection. You're able to connect with people all over the world. So give you an example. And the book gave me the opportunity to do that. To fall before last, I got a direct message on LinkedIn from a lady named Carrie Grace. But she's a regional development CEO in New South Wales in Australia. So she shared with me that she was using my book to help her to deal with the bushfires at that point in time. We have stayed connected, but I'm like that. So had we not connected on LinkedIn, that never would have happened. But yeah. I'm like, well, that's pretty cool that somebody in Australia in a leadership position is benefiting from lessons that they're learning in my book. Yeah. So I think there, there's a huge upside during during COVID, I did podcasts all over the world, which is you know part of why I started my own podcast. But I met the most amazing leaders yeah. who I still have not physically met. Right. But they've given me hope that there there are people out there that here again, and I'm sure your listeners that are developing content that's helping people and bringing people together. 
you know, I, I think it's great. The flip side is the ugliness of, say, your Facebook or whatever. I'm not really doing a whole lot of Facebook and stuff yeah. now, but it offers that opportunity to connect. And I've shared with people, think about this, the world, the world has a shared experience now yeah. from having going through the pandemic together. It's been different in different places, but we've all been impacted in some way. We're connected through our humanity. Yeah. So what an opportunity, I mean, to for the entire world to have a shared experience to really, you know, open up their humanity and their their symphony sympathy for love for one another. This is just an amazing opportunity. And I think that's the way I'm looking at it. And I kind of think, you know, I don't know the mind of God. I know you're going to be shocked about that. It's nuts. Yeah, I think you would by now. Yeah, well, <laughs> but I, I think God uses this to connect us and to say, you know, forget all the you know, the bickering and the yeah. fussing and the fighting. You know, you're all together in this world. Yeah. And you need to see yourselves as helping your neighbor. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think we've got a great opportunity. And here again, that's sort of part of the message that I think God is sending us. But he he knows all and is all powerful. And I'm not. Yeah. I know you have a heart for mentorship. And yeah. I was curious, looking at young leaders, what do you wish you saw more of? I wish I saw more support from my generation for younger leaders. And I'll give you, you an can't ex- flip it back to y'all because I was trying to say for us. No. Well, uh, <laughs> for for you guys, yeah. golly, you're not perfect but the energy that you bring, and that's that's what I love about my connection with the younger generation, is I I feed off of that energy and the creativity. Mm-hmm. So one thing that I would say is, don't conform though. You know, don't don't try to be the Instagram personality. That, how do I know I'm conforming? Because that might be a hard thing to gauge. How do you know you're conforming? Yeah. That's a that's a tough thing to gauge. I mean, you, you've got your punk rock ethos around you, so I know that you're not constantly trying to conform, but it's it's easy sometimes to conform. And I, I will admit, you know, I'm 53 years old, and I still look at how many likes my posts get on sure. Instagram. Sure, And I, I think about it, though, and so, so I fight that battle as well. I'm like, that's really saccharine. That's not as much of a connection as, you know, you and I having this conversation. But I, I think that conversation is very punk rock and very rebellious Here's now. That's my tweet for the show. Yeah. Conversation <laughs> is punk rock. Conversation is punk rock. When people do it in your generation, I'd say try, try more conversations, actual conversations. You're doing a great job of it with your podcast. So it, once you do it, and I know that everybody says everybody's on their cell phones or, or whatever, yeah. whatever, everybody is. But that the, punk rock of having a conversation and i think once people have a face-to-face conversation a meaningful deep conversation and i think frankly that's why podcasts are so popular because people want to listen to a good conversation and feel like they're part of that conversation you were leader of a big old city and i'm sure there are lots of people who wanted to have a conversation with you and um figuring out how to do that and do it well without neglecting relationships when there's so many relationships yeah. to tend to and stuff. That's kind of my, my struggle right now is figuring out because sometimes I just want to like turn everything off and like yeah. just be quiet for a while. And I feel bad because I always, you know, there's more people to respond to and DM and text and yeah. I feel like I'm really 
not good at that. I need to get better at it. But it's also too super draining. Yeah. I want to connect with people and I want to talk to them. How did you like manage that energy wise? You you really have to set parameters from the get go. And and I frankly, like when I first took office, I think I worked ninety straight days. I have a tendency to do things. Oh man, to yeah. the I don't cater to the extremes, but I will go to the extreme. It's hard uh, when you love what you do too. Yeah, but. You have to set those parameters. And one of the things that I made it a practice of when I was in office, and I still do, I try to, when we go on vacation, I just put my cell phone in the safe and I don't check it. When you go on vacation, you put your cell phone in the safe. Yes. <gasps> That's brave. Just to disconnect. Well, I will tell you that that was to me, particularly during my time in office, it was an act of faith too. For sure. And I would tell my executive assistant, don't call me unless it's an emergency. And you know what an emergency is. Don't manufacture an emergency. So two times in nine years in office, I got the call. One time, um, a congressman friend of mine had died. So we had to cut a vacation short. And another time they had fired our city administrator while I was out of town. But if a mayor of a city of 200,000 people can go away there are nine years in office and put your cell phone in the safe, you know, yeah. you, you can do it. And yeah. I think we, we do need, you talk about the still small voice. We do need leadership positions just as human beings. We need those quiet times and it's not, it's not easy to get. It's, you know, my wife and I have just been all over the board for the past few months. And so I'm, and at times I struggle a little bit with, okay, I need a little downtime. I need a little yeah. downtime. But but it, it, you've got to unplug at times. Um, having a marriage with that, and I'm not sure her personality or anything like that, but I know that's been an interesting thing. Bron and I've had to navigate a lot because I'm I could I'm kind of like you, or I could work all the time and be okay. And if it wasn't for my family, I probably would. Yeah, um, I just don't want my kids to end up in therapy. Um, <laughs> But it's hard because when you're super ambitious and you have goals and you want to you enjoy what you do, you know, there's other people looking to you saying, hey, turn it off because we need your time yeah. or whatever. So yeah. if you have any thoughts, advices for families, it, you have to prioritize. And so when I first ran for office, um, my mother-in-law, who I was very close to, like a second mother to me died. So this was right after I, eight days after I announced that I was running for office. And so I remember laying on my father-in-law's bed with my wife and my father-in-law and I, and saying, you know, if you guys aren't okay with this, I'll walk away now. But they said, my wife, Melissa's mother's name was Kitty. They said, no, Kitty, Kitty would want you to do this for Augusta. But I told my campaign guy, I'm like, look, you know, my family comes first if they need me during this period, I'm not going to be out campaigning when my family needs me. So it's to establish those priorities. But it, I didn't always do a good job of it. And I'll say it was difficult on my wife for to give me up to the city for nine years okay. in office yeah. because I did it 150%. And so, yes, it it's hard on a marriage, you know, and, and, it was difficult with my time away. It was difficult with, I always ma maintain my composure in public, but there were times at home, you know, I didn't have the same level of composure because yeah. you do get frustrated and you're dealing with the stress, sure. but, but you just, you do need to set those per parameters and, 
keep yourself healthy. I am an avid athlete. I work out a lot. You did the Ironman, right? Yeah. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Well, it, um, did it five times, but five times. Oh, yeah. wow. Props. I have, I have, I have not done it in a number of years that I don't I know. literally all think almost died. I did it once and I was like, I've been childbirth in that, and it's like talk. <laughs> Man. Well, it's it's funny though. the The reason I did it was because being a runner and everything myself. The first year that we had it here, I went down to thank everybody for coming, and so I Have and you then, got done. No, no, no. This was I. I, I was, was like, you were a public servant. No, I wasn't. I, down. I wasn't in it that year, but I said, look. I, thank you all for coming, and I want to say you've made me feel lazy, so I'm doing it next year because I figured no. if I put that accountability on me from You'd the stage, I'd have to do it. But I also, you know, uh, then one year I threw up at the end of the race in a trash can, and that was sure. on, on the news, which was r- really no nice. Way. Oh, yeah. They put it on the news? Yeah, and they interviewed me right afterwards. How kind. Yes. So kind. <laughs> but what do you do? But... But no, um, I, I enjoyed that. But I'll tell you what I enjoy about, and it goes back to you know your opening line of questioning on people. People view the Ironman as this individual event. And you having done it, no, I'm like, it's the energy of everybody out truth. there. And the fact that everybody's encouraging everybody else, it's to me the biggest team sport. And that that's electric, but that's... You know, I love when people are all encouraging people and they're rallying around a common goal. We want to finish this race. That's good stuff to me. I just want to be better at connecting with people. Mm-hmm. And if you just had a few minutes to kind of help me better, be better yeah. at that, what would you what would you advise? I once again to be unguarded and and to to ask people how best can I connect with you where you are. You ask yeah. that. Yeah. That's a powerful question. Do people know how to respond to that? Some do, some don't, you know, but, but just to have, to, to have an honest conversation about something that you're interested in, or I'll tell you what people don't want to talk about what they're afraid of. And I think that that's a good connection point because we're all afraid of things. I mean, I, I've dealt with fear and anxiety and that's a, that's a common ground issue. So I will tell you what, what I'm afraid of clowns. Really? Yes. How come? Because, because I was telling somebody about this this weekend. When I was a kid, ABC had the ABC movie of the week. There was a serial killer named John Wayne Gacy. Like a real and, one, not on the Like TV. a real one. But they, so he was a clown. Okay, I'm afraid of clowns now. This is terrifying. So, so to, to be a little kid and watch an ABC movie of the week about a clown that's a serial killer. That's messed up. And I... I can handle clowns, but I'm just like the big floppy feet and all that. So I'm afraid of clowns. I'm sure you have like a deeper fear too. I have lots of lots of deeper fears. So what are you afraid of? Not fulfilling or not doing anything great with my life. I think the reason with that is, you know, we connected on the, you know, being shy, whatever, feeling kind of like the outlier growing up. I always felt like I didn't matter. And so a lot of my drive is like a compensation for that, where I'm like, I want to do something great and I have to kind of check myself on that. You want to be great because you love people and you want to be something awesome or are you doing this because you have insecurity? Well, and- and, and You weren't ready for that, were you? No, but but (laughs) I have insecurity too that it's almost like, okay, what have I done lately? 
you know, what have I done? I was going to ask you about that. Cause like coming from like mayor of like nine years, like, it, is that hard letting go of that? It, it's a difficult transition. Okay. I was 48. So I was in, I think I'm still in the problem of my life, but to go from being, and I, I talk to people in the military, generals have a big, it's difficult for a general, somebody that's been in the military their entire adult life and had a staff of people to take care of all the issues and everything to go from that to having nothing, you yeah. know? So yeah, it, it was a transition and finding your way, you know, at 48 years old, but I started a consulting business, ended up doing the radio show, wrote the book. Now I'm back to live speaking engagements, getting into executive coaching, yeah. but it's, it's kind of, I've never fit well within a box. Yeah. And it's kind of making it up as you go along and looking still That's the truth. at midlife, looking for opportunities. There are other stuff that I'm working on, but, but it is that insecurity of like, okay, gosh, what was my latest success? And it's kind of yeah. like, look at the body of work and don't just look at one thing, yeah. you know, and give yourself a break. That's hard to do. It's hard to do at times. Yeah. When you're a driven person, it's hard to give yourself yeah. a break. But, but we need to forgive ourselves and give ourselves a break. Yeah. And understand it ain't over. It ain't over. It ain't over. Big thank you to Deke for coming on today's episode. Make sure you connect with him at deke-copenhaver.com. That is linked in the show notes. Also pick up his book. It's super good. The Changemaker, The Art of Building Better Leaders. You can find that along with his own podcast, again, at deke hyphen copenhaver.com. Now, before we go, I had to ask him one final question. If he could go back to young Deke right before he took office and tell him one thing that he knows now that he did not know back then, what would that be? Don't be afraid. And, and, and I, I'm the kind of person that if I go skiing, I want to go directly down the mountain. I don't want to sit and analyze how high up I am. So I think that was... I didn't really consider completely what I was getting myself into when I was 37 years old. If I'd have known, would I have done it or would I have let the fear, you know, consume me, the, the fear of the unknown. But I would just say, just relax. You know, it's That's so hard. And, I don't like that advice. Yeah, but, but just <laughs> take it a little easier. You, yeah. you might have not have to go 150% the whole time. Yeah. It's, it's a marathon. Yeah. It's not you know, a foot race. And so ease up a little bit. 